0: Out front next, breaking news, one person dead, more than 20 shot and injured at a Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl celebration. I'm gonna to speak to a father and his daughter who witnessed the shooting, a father tackling the alleged gunman. Also breaking this hour, Russia's space nukes. The House Intelligence Committee chairman sounding the alarm on a, quote, serious national security threat. CNN now learning the U.S. has new information on Putin's nuclear capabilities. And this hour, we are following more breaking news out of Washington. The special counsel Jack Smith pressing the Supreme Court to deny Trump's total claims of immunity just hours before Trump's back in court for the New York hush money case. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, the breaking news, a deadly mass shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl rally. According to police, 21 people were shot and injured. That includes children. And at least one person has died. Gunfire erupting at the end of the chief's victory parade, where more than one million people had gathered. At least three people are now in custody and under investigation. In a moment, I'm going to speak to a father and daughter. They witnessed the shooting and sent us this video of the father. His name is Paul. You're going to meet him in a moment. Tackling uh, what he says is one of the alleged gunmen. So you'll hear exactly what they saw and did here. And the the video coming out of this event shows an absolutely chaotic scene. As I said, there were a million people there. And in this moment, you've got hundreds of people running for their lives. Nick Watt is out front live in Los Angeles to begin our coverage tonight. And Nick, police just wrapping up their press conference. Uh, What's the latest about what happened, who did it, and where they are?
1: Well, Aaron, earlier today, the police had said that there were two people detained and they were described as suspects. They now say that there are three people in custody and they are, quote, under investigation. The police are appealing for the public's help to try and figure out exactly what happened and how it happened. And if perhaps there were other people involved, Aaron, this is still clearly a very active investigation. This should have been a celebration in honor of the Chiefs, back-to-back Super Bowl champion. Instead, yet another mass shooting in America. One dead and at least 21 injured by gunfire just west of Union Station in Kansas City as the rally wrapped up. Unclear how many were actually shot, there was panic. Fire department personnel giving life-sustaining treatment on the streets.
2: Everybody started running, there was screaming. We didn't know what was happening, but this day and age when people run, you run.
3: Three people
1: were detained, according to police. They're now under investigation.
3: We did see uh, two police officers least someone away in handcuffs. Something else. He was in
2: a red, like red yeah. jumpsuit. I'm angry at what happened today. The people who came to this celebration should expect a safe environment. We had over 800 law enforcement officers, Kansas City and other agencies at the location to keep everyone safe.
1: The people were not safe and hundreds of thousands were on the streets. Kansas City schools had closed for the day.
4: An event like this is almost impossible to completely secure. It is a massive open space. Tickets are not required. There are no gates and you know admission areas. So combine that with the fact that uh, that Missouri is a state that does not control the carrying of firearms. Essentially, anyone can carry a firearm. You have a huge crowd uh, and likely a, a large uh, you know a significant portion of that population carrying firearms. So. Any conflict or dispute can easily
1: turn into a shooting. Still unclear if the parade was actually targeted. The Chiefs say all their players and staff are safe, as are the governors of Missouri and Kansas, who were both at the celebration. Chief star quarterback Patrick Mahomes posted on X, praying for Kansas City. This is absolutely
5: a tragedy, the likes of which we would have never expected in Kansas City, and the likes of which we will remember for some time.
1: Now, the police chief who you just saw in that report, she was actually out on the street. She heard the gunshots and she described watching her officers and others, weapons drawn running towards the danger. The police are also looking into another piece of video which appears to show chief's fans in that parade chasing and apprehending one of the suspects. The chief says they're not sure if that is one of the suspects, but they're looking into that right now to see if there are also heroes amongst the fans, Aaron.
0: All right, well, Nick, thank you very much. And out front now is Paul Contreras and his daughter, Alyssa Marsh Contreras. They witnessed the shooting and helped tackle someone to the ground who was taken into custody. And Paul and, and Alyssa, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, what a terrifying day. Uh, Paul, you, you were there and, and there. You, you shared video here uh, of the moment that you helped tackle this person. What can you tell us about what happened in that moment?
5: Uh, I just heard somebody yelling to stop this guy, tackle him, and he was coming in the opposite direction. So I just – you don't think about it. It's just a reaction. He got close to me. I got the right angle on him, and I hit him from behind. And when I hit him from behind – I either jarred the gun out of his hand or out of his sleeve because as I'm taking him down to the ground, I see the gun on the ground. So I take him down, and I put all all my body weight on him. And then another good Samaritan comes over and is helping me because I kind of got him high, and the other guy gets him around his waist. And we're just putting our weight on him, and he's just fighting to get up, but we're we're fighting to keep him down. And another Samaritan comes over and puts his weight on us, and we're waiting for the cops to show up. They finally, well, they get there, and uh, the second cop gets there, the third cop gets there, and then they pretty much take over, and we, I, 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 I'm standing there for about a minute or two, you know, me and the cops didn't even have, like, one or two words, you know. Wow. Once they had him and got him cuffed, I sat there for two minutes with all my three daughters. And then we just, we we walked away. We, we headed toward our car.
0: I mean, it's incredible. And you're there with your three daughters. I mean, obviously, Alyssa's with you now. Paul, can I just ask, when you say uh, that the gun, you don't know whether it fell out of his hand or maybe out of his sleeve, right? And when he went down, then then the gun goes on the ground. Did you see him fire the gun?
5: no no i did not see him fire the gun i just when i tackled him i seen what i seen like i said out of his hand or out of his sleeve and i I, taking him down i seen the gun on the ground and and
0: Alyssa, you're there with your dad and your sisters i know you took this video after uh when when your dad had, had had tackled this man uh with the other good samaritans as he describes it and then the police officers come as your dad just walked through. So now we see the multiple officers have this man pinned to the ground. What did you see during all of this? And and what would you, were you even thinking watching your dad do this?
3: I mean, it all happened so fast. I think the most alarming thing was when we saw cops chasing people and then seeing a young teen or kid just completely coming at us. And then I noticed just everybody in the crowd just kind of scatters and runs. So from that moment on, I knew, okay, something wasn't right. And so seeing my little sister along with my older sister just completely run. Mm. And I didn't want to leave my dad's side because he knew what could have happened or if they needed help. So I was just there to make sure, you know, his hat, his phone, his wallet didn't go missing in the process of, you know, him getting this offender down.
0: And Paul, I know police at this point don't really have any details. I mean, they say they've they've got individuals and I guess it's unclear if one of the individuals that they are holding right now is the man that you tackle. We, we don't know yet, uh, unless unless you know. But we don't know a motive. I mean, did you hear anything from this this man as it, it, when you got him to the ground? Did he did he say anything? Um, and what did he look like?
5: You know, when I when I tackled him and I took him to the ground, he was wearing like a big bulky like work jacket. So. When I got him to the ground, he was face down, and his hoodie was on, his hood was on, he was face down, uh, and I was on top of him, keeping him down. Like I said, another good Samaritan was, was holding him by the waist down with his body on him, so I really did not get a good look, but as I was holding him down, I didn't know if he tried to bite me or just tried to claw at my hand. So I took my hand and put it outside to hold him down, with the jacket in between us, because he was, you know, I'm I'm holding him down. And he, we're fighting each other. He wants to get up while I'm holding him down. Then another guy helps me, and then, you know, it, it just it seemed like a long time, but it's probably like 15 to 30 seconds.
0: I can and only yeah. He, <clears throat>
5: Yeah, he, he was fighting the whole time, you know, fighting the whole time. And we we were fighting him to keep him down. We didn't want to let him up and take off running because he had one gun. He may have had another one in that big bulky jacket.
0: Right, right. You couldn't even tell. Now, now it gives some context to what you're saying that it could have been in his sleeve, right? I mean, when you talk about this bulky jacket, Alyssa, this happens yes. and, and your father runs to tackle this man because you hear shots and this guy's guy running, right, with his bulky jacket. Can you describe what the shots sounded like?
3: So from the moment, it, it all happened so fast, like I've said, but it wasn't long after the celebration was all done and everybody was kind of dispersing and going back to their cars, probably a minute or so later, and you just hear pop, 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 pop. And like I said, we we're at a celebration and I think A lot of people thought it were fireworks because nobody really ran or anything. And I assumed if people, you know, noticed it was gunshots or something, then we all would have, you know, been out of there really quick. But then as soon as we see people getting chased and then cops running and then not long after my dad tackling somebody, it it soon came to, okay, those weren't fireworks for the celebration. It was gunshots.
0: Well, it, it, thank you both so much for sharing this. I, I can only imagine just sort of how uh, traumatic that was. Thank you for sharing. And uh, incredible to imagine, Paul, that you, you who are unarmed, I, I guess, right, that you would run and chase someone who had a gun. And uh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah.
5: Well, I, I didn't know he had a gun until I tackled him. And, and that's when I seen it on the ground. Yeah. So I don't know. You It was just a reaction.
0: Well, Thank goodness for people like you. Thank you both so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Chris Swecker is with me now, the former assistant director at the FBI's Criminal Investigation Division. So Chris, uh, you know, you hear them talk about what happened and and Paul, you know, running at somebody. Uh, Then when the gun comes out, you know, they're trying to hold this guy down until the police come. And we don't know if this is one of the individuals who's now currently being held. Um, uh, but, But you hear this description, 22 people wounded. Uh, from the shooting that happened. And as I said, three detained. What do you think happened here from the best you can tell?
6: Yeah, well first I, I saw that video. It's extraordinary uh, that this guy took him down and, and had the presence of mind to, to do that. I think that advances the investigation when you have somebody you know, in fresh pursuit and catches somebody with a gun coming from a shooting, they'll be able to match the ballistics. And so he, this, this guy's a true hero and, the, and those that helped him. This, well, let's first thing, let's rule out terrorism. The FBI would be front and center if this was a, even suspected or any shred of evidence of a terrorist incident. So I think we can put that to the side. So this is, appears to be a criminal act and there are three suspects in custody. This was a, a sort of a, a spontaneous event, if you will. It sounds like if they were planning something, it seems like and they were trying to inflict mass casualties, they would have done it on the parade itself for maximum impact. So, you know, Kansas City, downtown, uh, uh, amongst a million people mingled in there are probably some pretty bad people, perhaps some gang members. And it sounds like this might have been a dispute and every single shot that was fired because of the density of the crowd hit somebody. And that's why mm. we may have the, those casualties. I don't have inside information, right. but after 40 years, you get a little sense of things, and that's what it seems like here.
0: Well, and, and it, in terms of what happened, again, there were a million people at the parade, and this was as it was ending, right? So a, as you point out, we understand right. there were more than 800 law enforcement officers present, but obviously from what Paul happened to Paul, right, you had Citizen Hero run in and apprehend uh, one of these individuals what's your take though on what we understand the ratio to be here that there were 800 law enforcement officers present at this uh, giant event
6: well you place 800 against a million in a dynamic moving event like this that that really they only had one or two days uh, or three days to, to plan. plan it right yeah. you know it's not like the Super Bowl or the Olympics where you can spend months and years planning with all interagencies coming together this was an impromptu type event, which is the highest risk type event. It's open, it's wide open. So, you know, it's good that they had 800 officers out there, but that wasn't enough. I mean, and I'm not saying that it wouldn't happen if there were, you know, a cop every five feet. I think the type of people that do this have no respect for law enforcement and it would happen anyway. It's just, you know, it's a difficult event to plan for. And afterwards, I think a lot of information goes flying into different directions and it doesn't go into the one place if you had a pre-established command post, for example, an intelligence analyst sitting there waiting to grab the information, the the fog of war and chaos does uh, reign in this type of situation.
0: All right, well, Chris, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's still incredible to think about Paul running towards and taking down somebody. you know, to think about what it would take in such a moment to make that choice. Up uh, front next, the breaking news after the House Intelligence Chairman's cryptic warning about a national security threat. CNN is now learning that the U.S. has new intelligence on Russia and Putin's efforts to launch nukes in space. Also breaking, Special Counsel Jack Smith just responding to Trump's efforts to delay the federal election case. Now this coming just hours before Trump is back in the courtroom, this time for the criminal hush money case in New York. And in fighting inside the White House, there is new reporting this hour on the finger pointing over how the administration handled Biden's response to the investigation into his handling of classified documents.
4: This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like.
0: Breaking news. Russian nukes in space. Multiple sources are telling CNN tonight that the U.S. has new intelligence on Russia's efforts to deploy a nuclear anti-satellite system in space. So this actually comes after the House Intelligence Committee Chair Mike Turner today raised the alarm. He announced he's made information concerning a, quote, serious national security threat available to all members of Congress to review. Now, keep in mind, if nukes were launched to the U.S. from space, they would be undetectable. And this news gives ominous context to the fact that one of Putin's mouthpieces floated this very idea on Russian state television nine months ago, as found by Russian media analyst Julia Davis.
4: I think it's time to turn up the heat. We understand that all drones and everything else work for Americans only while Starlink exists. So if we carefully launch our nukes in space, there will be no Starlink left.
0: Jim Shudo is out front. And Jim, what more are you learning about this intelligence?
8: So this is what we know at this this hour. It's new U.S. intelligence. It's about a new Russian military capability, specifically an anti-satellite capability with a nuclear component. So the idea to target U.S. or partner satellites in space, including surveillance satellites, nuclear or early warning sh- satellites, uh, with a nuclear component, which of course would you know you know expand the ability to destroy those capabilities in space considered serious enough that the U.S. shared it with its Five Eyes partners, its closest intel partners, including the U.K., Canada, etc. I should note this as well, and I've spoken to three people who are read in on this latest intelligence, including two lawmakers, and they told me, one, this is not a clear and present danger. This is something that Russia is experimenting with, looking into, designing. It is not currently deployed and not considered something that will soon be deployed. That's key. Second of all, Aaron... They've all said to me that this is highly sensitive intelligence, including the sourcing involved. So they were surprised uh, that you have a member of Congress that was going so public with this at this time. Uh, So that's very important. As you said, it was Mike Turner who started with something kind of cryptic about a new threat to the U.S. And it was reporters who dug in to figure out exactly what he was talking about. But then later in the day, you saw even one of his Republican colleagues, the Speaker, Mike Johnson, saying in his words, there is no cause for alarm right now. So it's serious, serious enough that they're sharing with their partners, but not one that is considered a serious threat to death.
0: All right. Well, Jim Shudo, thank you very much. Of course, one mm-hmm. other thing Jim points out there, uh, the sourcing is very crucial, right? If, uh, if this is something that could threaten a crucial intelligence source uh, that's providing the U.S. information, that is hugely significant as well. The Democratic Congressman Seth Moulton joins me now, and I appreciate your time, Congressman. So what can you tell us about this threat what you've learned about it?
9: Well, look, I I think the speaker is right. Um, This is a serious issue, uh, but it's something that we're working hard to address. And uh, defense intelligence, uh, defense officials, uh, some of whom I spoke with again today, uh, are working on how to address this to make sure we keep Americans safe. It's important to understand that what uh, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee has done here, Mike Turner, is fundamentally leak information. He's, he, he is an intelligence leaker because what he did is he decided to take highly sensitive compartmented intelligence. That means that even if you have a very, you know, like a top secret clearance or something, um, you only have access to the intelligence if you have a need to know. And he shared it with every member of Congress, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who of course, we all know, cannot be trusted to keep this secret. And indeed, it only took a few hours for the details of this weapon system to come out. So, you know, he may think he has very, principled reasons to do this, but he's put our national security at risk. He's put the sources of intelligence at risk. He's raised a lot of questions with our allies, who of course count on us to keep this safe. And he's yeah. really inhibited our ability to respond.
0: So so do you believe that he should face penalties? Oh, absolutely. As a I mean, I, yeah.
9: Look, I certainly don't trust him. I certainly don't untrust him. I, and I think the House Republican leadership has to uh, really address whether he can continue chairing Uh, This committee. Look, if you asked Edward Snowden, one of the most infamous American leakers, why he leaked that intelligence uh, that, of course, put our national security at risk, he would give you very principled reasons in his mind for doing so. And I'm sure that Mike Turner uh, believes he has very principled reasons for releasing this intelligence. But I'll tell you what, a lot of us really disagree. A lot of Republicans uh, disagree. And certainly the Defense Department officials who right. uh, are working to respond to this uh, disagree as well. And you know what, Aaron? He did it because he was offended. Apparently he was offended that he wasn't told about this by the Biden administration. So in other words, he has a partisan reason for mm. doing this. But there's a problem with that. He and I both sit on the House Armed Services Committee. And I was briefed about this two years ago. I haven't had a problem keeping it a secure secret. But if he just found out about this, apparently he wasn't paying attention.
0: Uh, uh, right, because you're pointing out you knew you were all briefed two years ago. Not, so, not all uh, of us, but, but those of
9: us who needed to know, and, and certainly uh, Chairman Turner could have found out himself.
0: Right, would have been on that list. That's well, right. you know, And it's interesting you're talking about the reasons that you understand that he may have done it. Obviously, as you know, there's discussion out there that maybe another reason he did it was to try to get uh, his own party to support aiding Ukraine and realizing that Russia is a clear and present danger. Obviously, that's complete speculation and, and, and you're giving an informed view, but it does it does raise the questions about where that bill is, the Ukraine funding bill, right? It passed the Senate, bipartisan vote. You had a 22 GOP uh, senators supporting it, but in the House, you got nothing. Speaker Mike Johnson says he has no intention of bringing it to the floor. Obviously, you wanna get this done. You've been very clear about it from the very beginning, Congressman. Do you see any possibility that that Senate bill ever passes the House?
9: Well, Aaron, let's be clear. There are actually a lot of Republicans, a lot of smart, reasonable Republicans who care about our national security, who recognize that supporting Ukraine today is an investment in our national security now and for the future. And they want to support this as well. They want to vote on this bill. It's just the speaker, who of course is controlled by these extremists in the Republican conference, who refuses to bring it up to, for a vote. You know, he's worried that just by bringing it up to a vote for allowing democracy to work, for us to actually do our job and vote yes or no on legislation, he's worried he'll lose his job. That's the problem.
0: Congressman Moulton, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Good to see you, Aaron. All right, me too. And next, the breaking news, the special counsel tonight urging the Supreme Court to reject Trump's efforts to delay his 2020 election trial. And that means, of course, a ruling from the court could be imminent. Plus, new details tonight about the blame game erupting among Biden allies. The president's legal and communications teams under fire after that scathing DOJ report that questioned Biden's memory. Breaking news, Special Counsel Jack Smith pushing the Supreme Court to deny Donald Trump's immunity request. The filing coming just moments ago in response to an emergency request that Trump made Monday in court. Kara Scannell is out front now, and and Kara, Smith actually had till February 20th. So the court had given him a week to respond to Trump's filing, maybe out of courtesy knowing he would do so much more quickly, but he sure did so much more quickly. I mean, basically immediately.
7: Yeah, almost immediately, really indicating how quickly they want this to move. And what Jack Smith's team is asking the court to do is to let the election submersion case move forward. They want the court to reject Trump's effort to try to overturn the lower court ruling that said he does not have immunity from prosecution in this case. Smith's team's writing, delay in the resolution of these charges threatens to frustrate the public interest in a speedy and fair trial. And they also tell to give the court an option, saying if you do want to hear this case on the Merits. Consider this the petition to do that and have oral arguments in this case next month because they obviously want to go to trial before November. Erin.
0: So so Carrie, I mean, now it's just hours. Trump's going to be attending a major hearing in his hush money case in New York, where, of course, you are right now. You're going to be in the courtroom for that tomorrow. What are you expecting?
7: Yeah, I mean, this is a crucial hearing and it's with all of comes as all of Trump's criminal cases have been colliding this week. So we are expecting the judge to make some key rulings in this case, including the trial date. We'll soon know if the first criminal charges against Donald Trump, the hush money case involving Stormy Daniels, will go to trial before the 2024 election. State felony charges filed last year in New York allege he falsified business records to cover up a hush money payment to adult film actress Stormy Daniels, trying to stop her from going public about an alleged affair just days before the 2016 presidential election.
8: Under New York state law, it is a felony to falsify business records with intent to defraud and an intent to conceal another crime.
7: Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg says Trump tried to interfere in the election, alleging he would do anything to reach the White House. Prosecutors alleged the payment to Stormy Daniels was part of a catch-and-kill scheme Trump devised with longtime friend and then National Enquirer publisher David Pecker, and executed by Trump's former fixer Michael Cohen, who pleaded guilty to campaign finance violations in 2018.
1: I pled guilty in Federal court to felonies for the benefit of, at the direction of, and in coordination with individual number one. And for the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump.
7: The case involves a $130,000 payment Cohen made to Stormy Daniels days before the 2016 election. Did, did you know about the $130,000 payment to Sorby Daniels? No. Prosecutors allege Cohen and Trump then plotted the cover-up in the Oval Office. Cohen issued a series of false invoices to the Trump organization, saying it was for a legal retainer. And Trump sent monthly checks for $35,000, reimbursing his former lawyer, according to the indictment. The trial is scheduled to begin next month. If convicted, Trump could face up to four years in a New York state prison. This was his first attempt to steal a presidential election based in uh, back in 2016 when he wanted to suppress information from coming out and hide it from the electorate and the voters. It's a lower level felony, but it's still a felony. And he could get prison time if convicted, but it is not mandatory. The trial is a test for Alvin Bragg, a Democrat whose tenure as district attorney has been met with criticism, including his handling of this investigation.
8: Uh, I bring cases when they're ready. Uh, Having now conducted a rigorous, thorough investigation, the case was ready to be brought
7: and it was brought. Now, Trump is expected to be in court tomorrow when the judge will make the decision of whether this March 25th trial date sticks. And Trump pleaded not guilty to the 34 counts of falsifying business records and has
0: denied any affair with Stormy Daniels. Aaron. All right, Kara, thank you very much. And now to our Battleground series looking at the effect of Trump's legal troubles. Out front now, John King at the magic walls. Plural. Walls. All right, John. Um, big moments in these legal cases are coming. And there is so much to keep track of here. I mean, sometimes, you know, you have to give like a long sentence so people understand exactly what case it is that you're talking about. But it's now all coming to a head.
10: It is. And Kara, I think, used the right word, Aaron a collision. A collision not only of all these legal cases with each other, but with the pr- presidential campaign calendar. Five cases. Take a look here. Federal classified documents case. That trial will be in Georgia. Federal election interference case. That's based in D.C. The Georgia election interference case. Obviously, Fulton County, Atlanta. Two New York trials. Kara just mentioned the criminal trial, the Hush Money case involving Stormy Daniels. And then that business fraud trial, which is moving along as well. The president already found guilty of fraud. The question is, how much will a judge says he has to pay? So you see all of those happening, Aaron, and they coincide right now. You have a presidential campaign calendar, right? The president won New Hampshire. He won Iowa. He won Nevada. Uh, Well, guess what, as he's trying to become the Republican nominee, and he's on a pretty good path to it right now. Look at all of this going bang. The president tonight, former president, a rally in South Carolina. As Karen noted, the New York hush money hearing tomorrow, probably get a trial date. There's also a Georgia hearing. Other defendants, not the former president, are trying to allege there's a conflict of interest between the DA and her lead prosecutor. They say there's a personal relationship. They want that case either thrown out or delayed in some way. That hearing tomorrow. Uh, A civil fraud ruling could come. How much does the president have to pay, the Trump organization have to pay? That could come Friday. Jack Smith's deadline was Monday. He filed tonight. He's trying to move the Supreme Court along as quickly as possible on the question, does Donald Trump, because he was president at the time, have some blanket immunity? The special counsel moving that forward. And as we wait for all these legal developments, uh, 10 days from now, nine days from now, the South Carolina presidential primary, and it's all coming, boom.
0: All coming to a head. All right. So hearings essentially every day. You got a day or two. Well, yeah, maybe one or two days here and there where you don't. And Trump's going in a lot of these courtrooms. Right. So he's going to be, uh, we anticipate, in a courtroom tomorrow. He's doing that by choice, but still going there and then going to rallies. So will there be answers anytime soon?
10: Uh, Maybe some answers about dates, maybe some answers about procedures. Will this go away anytime soon? In a word, no, and let's walk through some of that as you go through it. This is going to be with us for weeks and weeks and then likely months and months. And so let's just look up some dates to watch. Forgive me for turning my back. Uh, Just in March, we do expect, unless something big happens tomorrow, that that New York felony criminal hush money trial will take place in March. Guess what? There are 30, count them, 30 Republican nominating contests playing out in that same month. So will the president be in the courtroom? Will he be going to Michigan and California and somewhere else or back and forth? There you have it. The classified documents case in Florida is supposed to start in May, that trial. We'll see if that sticks. There's efforts to delay it by the Trump team. But if it started in May, they think that'll be about a two-month trial, Aaron. Two months. May? That would be May. And June, guess what's in the middle of July? That's the Republican National Convention. And if you think that's it, oh, that's a lot, but that's it. Uh, No, there's even more. If you come up, let me again stretch this out for you. We are still waiting for when will the Georgia trial be? When will the U.S. January 6th case be? And we're waiting, of course, for the Supreme Court. Big ruling on presidential immunity. Again, the special counsel wants that as soon as possible. And the question some states have raised, Colorado particularly, should, can you rule the president ineligible to be on the ballot because of January 6th? So you have all these trials, and you have some big questions for the Supreme Court. Again, all as the campaign plays out.
0: Yeah, and those to be determined are, are, are perhaps the most important. Big. But yet, John. Trump has turned this so far into a political advantage, right? It has not hurt him. In fact, uh, when you get news of another indictment, it has helped him. So you've got 91 counts and, uh, you know, it helped him 91 times, essentially. I mean, when you look at how voters see this, is there a way to actually ascertain how people really feel about how, how they'll vote if he is found guilty of anything?
10: So let's take that in two slices, one the here and now, and one a little bit looking forward. In the here and now, in the here and now, look, everyone knows, all the voters know as they go to the polls in Iowa, in New Hampshire, in Nevada, in South Carolina in 10 days, the president faces 91 charges in all when he lumped these cases together. And yet, look at the Trump red. He won Iowa convincingly. He won New Hampshire convincingly. He won the Nevada caucuses convincingly. Why? Listen to these Trump voters in Iowa, in New Hampshire, in Nevada, in Virginia. In Iowa, saying Donald Trump's being set up.
8: No, I don't. I don't worry. I don't worry about those indictments. I don't think they're. I don't think they're fair. Um, I think Trump has been pushed into a corner. I think um, he's got he's got lots of targets on him, and I think he's doing a great job of deflecting every one of them.
11: The person who is accused of something always has to prove their innocence, when the job should be. On the state or the federal government, prove I'm guilty. That's where it should be, you know. In the in the in public opinion, he's been tried, tried, um, convicted, and executed. You know,
5: it's been like a witch hunt from the time the man got in there. And you know, if he went in there and pardoned himself and then resigned and went home, it wouldn't bother me a bit. Yeah, I won't leave for any sleepover.
12: I think if we look at every single president or potentially politician. If you dig, you might find some things. Um, Personally, I think the way they're going after him versus some of the other players um, doesn't seem to, it, it just doesn't seem to be in balance, but that's my personal opinion.
10: So you hear it there, Aaron, Trump has persuaded his base, his voters, this is nothing, they're after me. They're out to get me, and when they get me, they'll come for you, but if you look into the polling, there are some deep warning signs for the former president. Look at this poll, this is our national poll. Uh, Only 11% of Republicans believe he acted illegally, but 80% of Democrats do. 45% of independents do, acted unethically. 40% of his own party, Republicans think he was unethical. Democrats, they think it was illegal, so they don't call it unethical. A lot of independents think it was unethical. Half of Republicans say he did nothing wrong, but almost no Democrats or independents, tiny numbers. So this is what the Biden campaign will use as a character issue come general election, saying you cannot vote for this man. You think he acted illegally. You think he acted unethically. And so, Aaron, one last point to bring up a number. These are, the, these are among Republican voters when you look at these numbers. This is the entrance poll going into the Iowa caucuses, the exit poll of the New Hampshire primary, people who voted in Republican contests, right? 31% in Iowa said he's unfit. 42% in New Hampshire said he's unfit. Expect that number to go down. This is the day they voted for somebody else. That's what the Biden campaign will try to take care of. You might think I'm too old. You might disagree with my politics. You do not want this man back in the White House.
0: We will see, and of course, you know, until these rulings really come in, you never know how people feel, right? They're only telling you what they think they will feel, Uh, and we just don't know. All right, John, thank you. And next, we have breaking news. CNN is learning a blame game is now engulfed Biden's administration after the special counsel's report that described the president as an elderly man with a poor memory. Plus, a woman makes a chilling discovery.
12: I'll just put it out there. I mean, I I was intimate with my half-brother.
0: CNN's investigation shows how they shared a biological father, a fertility doctor, who allegedly impregnated multiple women with his sperm.
11: I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them on Be My Guest, the podcast. New friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Tonight, blame game. CNN learning allies of President Biden are pointing fingers at the White House over how it handled the investigation into the president's handling of classified documents, the White House still reeling after the special counsel's report described the president as a "quote well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory." Jamie Gangel is out front, and Jamie, what more are you learning?
11: So, what we're seeing here is the political fallout. Aaron is continuing, as you said, the blame game, and the fingers are getting pointed at both his legal and his communications teams for what we're being told were missteps that everyone thinks made the political situation worse. That even though, as you said, the special counsel declined to bring any charges, that the White House response was completely bungled politically. Wow. And it won't surprise you, Aaron, that a source close to the Biden team pushed back on the criticism saying, quote, after a hostile prosecutor investigated the president for fifteen months, trying to find something to charge, the Biden legal team strategy ended with zero indictments and total exoneration. That is an unequivocal win. End quote. Nevertheless, Aaron, the knives are out. It's it's so amazing though what you say. Jamie, is that, uh,
0: you know, getting zero indictments should be right. a win, right? It should have been a win. It should have been a good day for the White House, and there were no charges filed. But then, you know, we were all sitting here, right, 7.30 Eastern, 15 minutes, the president's going to be coming out and, and speaking to reporters. No warning, and he comes out, and he's angry, extremely angry, right. and there's been intense right. scrutiny us ever since. What are some of the specific things you and your team have uncovered
11: about that? So, no question, the decision to have that press conference in that way, with the reporters standing there, was considered by — is considered by a lot of people to have been a disaster. On the legal side, look, the Biden team felt and, — and we reported on this — that, from day one, their mission was to cooperate, cooperate with the National Archives, the FBI, and then the special counsel, of course, in stark contrast to how former President Donald Trump handled his response to the classified documents case. Yeah. But these are Biden allies who say the legal team may have over-cooperated by allowing the interview to be recorded, allowing it to take place right when President Biden was also dealing with the aftermath of the October attack in Israel. Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, but this isn't over, Aaron. There are concerns. That report, those recordings, they're going to yeah. be released. There are real concerns about how it will read and sound.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as you point out, um, I, my understanding is, right, those interviews were, or depositions were the 8th and 9th of October. Uh, so right. literally in the hours. So he, he would not have slept. And, and and one can imagine, and he would have been completely distracted, uh, that perhaps it was a mistake to do them on those days. we'll see when we see, read, and hear. All right, Jamie, thank you so much. Thank you next, one woman's horror story.
12: I've slept with my half-sibling and I've gone to high school with three others.
0: They all shared a biological father, but they didn't know it. Tonight, a shocking and horrible discovery. A woman discovers she dated her half-brother. A shocking revelation coming after they both took DNA tests and discovered that they share a biological father. That man is the fertility doctor who donated sperm to their mothers in the 1980s and is now accused of using his sperm instead of anonymous donors without the consent of multiple patients over at least a decade. Kyung-la is out front with this investigation.
12: I mean, I'll just put it out there. I mean, I I was intimate with my half-brother.
2: But you didn't know.
12: We didn't know.
2: Yeah. They couldn't have known. In the early 2000s, they were two teenagers growing up in Wallingford, Connecticut, a suburb like any other, where Victoria Hill met her high school boyfriend. This, I think, was junior year. Obviously, you're dating here. Yeah. What Victoria didn't know then.
11: My husband and I tried for a while, and it wasn't working.
2: What was the infertility world like back then?
11: Back then, everything was kept quiet was kept, not really secret, secret, but it wasn't advertised.
2: Her mother, Merrilee Hill, turned to a New Haven, Connecticut fertility specialist, Dr. Burton Caldwell. She says Dr. Caldwell told her he would inseminate her using an anonymous medical student's sperm.
11: Hill got pregnant.
12: There's babe me.
11: I kind of erased it in my mind that they weren't um, my husband's biological children.
2: Until recently, when Victoria took a commercially available DNA test curious about her health history. To her shock, she found half-siblings she never knew existed. One of them reached out, revealing their biological father is Dr. Caldwell.
12: When I opened it up, it basically just kind of put out there, what you're seeing is some half-siblings because we believe that the doctor that did your mother's fertility treatment might be our biological father. And I just, I just remember sitting there just being like... What? What is happening?
2: Victoria's high school boyfriend, who asked his identity be concealed, was also donor conceived. His parents also used Dr. Caldwell. The boyfriend took a DNA test.
12: He texted me, and it was a screenshot of the 23andMe connection, and it said, You are my sister.
2: What? (laughs) We're siblings? So... She continued to find more brothers and sisters all discovered through DNA. All connected to Dr. Caldwell. Yeah.
12: I've slept with my half sibling. There were four of us that we know of in the same high school. Another half sibling, we went to the same elementary school, and that's just in the 23 that I know. Are you gonna go boom? My children have 41 first cousins that we know of, most which are local. So how many could there be?
2: Victoria's story is a worst-case scenario in the fertility field. The FDA regulates sperm and egg donations, but doesn't limit the number of donations nor the amount of offspring, vastly behind some Western countries with tighter controls. And when it comes to doctors using their own sperm without patient consent, there's currently no federal law and only 13 states with existing fertility fraud laws.
12: I consider you guys sisters, Sisters. or I'll say like
2: half-sisters. A lot. More people than I think we know struggle to conceive, and that's why all of our moms did what they did, because they wanted wanted babies. They would do anything. For my kids' sake, I hope you get the tall gene. Victoria and two of her half-sisters say they are Caldwell's biological children, all born within four years in the 1980s. It's only through commercial genetic tests that they can track their growing numbers.
12: None of us knew, and every single time it comes up, we end up having to relive what that experience was like.
2: So, Janine, you went and saw Dr. Caldwell. Yes. You snapped a picture. Mm
7: -hmm. Why did
2: you take a picture?
7: I wanted proof, but I still, when I see that picture, it's this sick feeling. I felt strongly that I had to meet him to make him and the whole situation real, and try to make it make sense.
2: Janine Pearson filed a civil lawsuit against Caldwell last year. It's all she can do for some sense of justice.
7: We don't want this to happen
2: to anybody else. Right. Dr. Caldwell stopped practicing sometime in the early 2000s, but he still lives here in Connecticut. So we decided to uh, stop and see if we could chat with him. Okay, so. I saw Dr. Caldwell. He appears to be frail, quite elderly. I chatted briefly with his wife, who did not want to talk.
4: The law is, frankly, way behind technology in this area.
2: Attorney Matt Blumenthal represents Victoria Hill, her high school boyfriend, and Hill's mother. There are dozens of reported cases like this of other fertility doctors accused of impregnating their patients. Hundreds of offspring who only recently discovered the truth because of
4: DNA testing. It's been kept from them for so long, they can't do anything about it because the legal system may not provide them a remedy.
12: It's insane to me that there's just no justice. There's no recourse. The reason why I'm telling this story, I mean, for me, coping, I need to make meaning of this
2: somehow. I am happy to be alive, but I don't want to be the product of a fraud. And Victoria is trying to change things for other people. She is here in Washington and tomorrow joined by activists. They will be on Capitol Hill talking to lawmakers trying to make fertility fraud illegal in a federal bill. Aaron this law has been written as proposed legislation. It is sitting in the House and they hope to have some success tomorrow. We will follow them on their journey here. We did reach out to Caldwell's attorney, Aaron.
0: He did not have any comment. Erin? Mm. All right, Kyung, thank you very much. i very much want to see what happens to them tomorrow. Thank you so much for being with us. AC360 starts now.
4: Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.